Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Renewal podcast and our series called Choral Spirituality. Choral spirituality is that belief that all of us, each and every one of us, is a spiritual practitioner and contributes to the chorus of spirituality in our own unique way. In choral spirituality, there are no experts or novices, except that we're all of us experts in our own way and novices in this spiritual journey. We sing together to make holy music. We want to spend time with people through this series to get a sense of how they participate in the spiritual choir, how they use their unique voice in God's choir, and in doing so, help all of us get a sense of our own part in it. Today, we are joined by a panel of pastors, people who have dedicated their professional lives to ministering to God's people in God's church. How do pastors, priests, ministers pray? I bet you have been wondering that. How can we be encouraged by their part in choral spirituality and learn from them? Maybe even learn some spiritual practices. But also, how can we learn to articulate for ourselves our own spiritual practices to inspire us to get our own voice to sing along in the great spiritual choir? Hi, Sarah Lyon. Good to see you. Good to glad you're here. Um, how, how are you today and, and who do we have with us? Uh, David, it's you know wonderful to be here with choral spirituality in heart and in mind. I'd just like to take a moment to introduce our guests today. And I have to say I'm wholly delighted to welcome our pastor's panel. And on the panel to this morning is um, the, the Reverend Helen Turvo. Welcome, Helen. Thanks, Sarah. Um, we have the Reverend Philip Newman. Hi there. And, and we have uh, Eden Jerzak. Um, Eden is pastoring at the bridge in Abbotsford, British Columbia. Good to see you and have you with us today, Eden, and everyone. I guess uh, as I offer you all this uh, warm welcome, I, I, I would like to begin our conversation uh, today by inviting you to introduce yourselves by quite simply asking the question, where does your spiritual story begin? And I wonder, Philip, not to put you on the spot too much, but can I invite you to start the conversation oh, by sharing yeah. with us what it is you would like us to know about you and the origins or not of your spiritual story? Right. I, I'd love to begin. Um, <clears throat> I realize more and more that my spirituality began <clears throat> on the farm. I grew up in the <clears throat> rural farmland, rich farmland of southwestern Ontario, where my mother and father had built their home on the corner of my grandfather's farm. And I enjoyed the wide open spaces of, uh, of the farmland and I did wander. And so a sense of wandering is still very much something that's alive with me. And I don't yet know how this came about, but that, 
I was aware as a young boy, as an adolescent, before adolescence, that I was in conversation with something. Now, I often wandered the farm with my dog. And, and one of my, I assumed I was always talking to my dog, who was a just a lovely companion. Uh, somewhere along the way, many, many years later, a spiritual director of mine did say, you realize if you reverse dog, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, uh, maybe uh, that's true. But I, I had this sense that I was never a- alone. Uh, wherever I wandered on the land, uh, that I was somehow uh, tethered to, I was in relationship with this other. I I couldn't say that, of course, as a ten year old or an eight or a twelve year old. Um, but I've uh, I I was aware that I was in conversation, and for me, that's really I now am know just what a foundation that was for the beginning of my. Uh, spirituality. It continues to play a role for me. Beautiful, Philip. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think there's things we'll come back to there, but in the in wanting to give voice for, to everyone, we'll ask Helen now if you would like to also introduce yourself mm-hmm. and answer the question or not, however you wish to introduce yourself. Mm, thanks, Sarah. I, um, I I said before we started the formal part of this interview that uh, this was a trick question. And what I meant by that was that where does your spirituality begin? Uh, immediately, I go to the chrono side of things, you know, like the calendar of my life. And then I thought, oh, this is this could also be where does it begin for me daily? And um, that is, that's where my heart is, is in the the daily uh, expression of it. I think the big turns in my life have come through suffering, have come through um, my family and uh my life experiences and where I learned to dig deeper into into that relationship with God that that nurtured me mm. in, in very difficult times. But um, for me, a lot of my spirituality is just founded in daily life and and the uh, activities of daily life, but also the people that I meet and the um, the tough conversations that are that are hard to have uh, unless you're open to the presence of God, and when you are open, then that will that will move us forward. I please don't think I live the life of a monk. I spend a lot of my time feeling badly that I don't think about God enough, but but I'm trusting that 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 spiritual experience of life as it is lived is is at the heart of where I am at. Oh Helen, thank you for your deeply and uh, rich sharing and um, I'm sure we'll come back to some of those thoughts mm-hmm. and themes later in our conversation. So now I'll, I'll just turn to Eden, if I can, and, and, and pose that same uh, curious question to you. 
I was thinking about it. I was, I was thinking like a bit like Helen, like which start, which <laughs> beginning. Um, and I like, I grew up in a faith family. Uh, well, some of us call it a faith Mennonite is uh, what I grew up. And um, um, so my family, my home, my social life all uh, revolved around the church and this community. And uh, it was lovely. I, I loved it. My relationship with God, though, those, um, you know, that first decade of my life and a little more was entirely um, an accounting of my sin. And, and so that, that was the beginning of my, um, my faith. It was just an accounting of my sin over and over again, always feeling like I was missing the mark and, uh, and somehow on the outs with God. Um, then the second decade of my life, um, through a conversation with a friend um, who was a Christian, I came to realize that God wasn't just messing with me and how I was, uh, you know, such a sinner, but that um, his work of atonement was on my behalf, had been done past, present, future, and that I could live my life instead of like always looking over my shoulder at what do I have to account for. Um, now I could live my life with my face and my direction forward, looking at God and looking for the cues he had for me. So that was pretty big in my second decade. Um, in my third decade, I went to Bible school and probably messed everything up forever. But, um, uh, you know, I came through that and, and I knew a lot. Um, and then the next decade, um, we started doing some undoing of the things that I thought I knew. Um, but also in that, um, in that fourth decade, um, between my husband and I, we really started to understand that we could, like Philip had experienced, have conversations with God. And that was the most dramatic and beneficial uh, start in my faith and has really launched these last, um, you know, almost two decades now um, of my, of my faith and my spirituality in a much, much lovelier direction. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Eden, for that sharing. Um, so uh, I feel so privileged to have listened to you all of you and your introductions, I feel I know so much more about you and I feel it will be the same for the audience. So thank you for being so vulnerable in just the introduction um, uh, to the, our conversation today. So yeah, so I, I mean, David, did you have um, a pondering? Well, as you say, Sarah, there's there's a lot. There are a lot of themes here. I hope we can unpack uh, conversation that daily um, rhythm of spiritual practice, that sense of, uh, I don't know what it is, but there's almost uh, in sometimes in our spiritual practices, there's that sense that uh, we're somehow doing something wrong 
or um, we're not doing something right, at least, uh, or we could be doing something better in our spiritual practices. Uh, later, I'd like to um, maybe unpack that a bit. Uh, um, Eden, in your introduction of, about some of the transformations that have happened in your spiritual journey, which I think is uh, a real experience in life, what what does that look like? How 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 does God change? How do we change in our relation with with God? These are such important themes. So we'll we'll get there. Uh, the center for spiritual renewal is all about spiritual practices, old spiritual practices, those ancient ones, and also new ones, discovering new ones. I wonder if you could say anything about the spiritual practices that you use in your own personal prayer and study and how they help uh, your life. And, and if you could define for us, right, put your expert hat on what is prayer uh, for you and how does it fit in your day-to-day -day life as a follower of Jesus generally, but, but as a minister? as a priest, as a pastor in, in particular. Helen, I wonder if you would uh, begin that. Oh, David. Um, I'm giving you lots of space to edit. <laughs> I, um, for me, it's that constant, that constant sense of presence that, that, that sense that that if I slow down and simply wait and be, that um, I will know the presence of God, and um, and then the other thing is through activity and through creativity and through through uh, relationships that the presence of God shines forth as well. Uh, prayer for me is not a an intentional practice. It is definitely very loosey-goosey and very um, to the moment. And uh, the upside of that is that um, I don't, I can continue praying through whatever is going on. And then the downside, of course, is that I forget that I'm praying and I'm not consciously aware of it. And so it's between those two poles that I have to, I have to work through my daily life. Um, I really loved Brian McLaren's book on spiritual practices. I thought that that really helped me to see that, um, that spiritual practice wasn't just, um, well, uh, in the, in the, the, the common and stricter sense contemplative because I see myself as very contemplative but sitting silent for an hour in it is just not who I am that that does not open up the gates of heaven for me and as much as I appreciate it, as much as I sometimes know that it's it's uh, meaningful and even necessary to do from time to time which I do it's not a daily practice for me a daily practice for me is um, is seeing God in in this world and tuning my heart to that. And I am um, much more aware of the presence of God as an extrovert in conversation. That's where that's where God is for me, and and the meeting of two people. That's that's really at the heart. And I found that when I worked for 15 years in uh, correction services 
um, at a, very difficult prisons. And um, for me, finding a voice was like for me to help those men find their spiritual voice was that was one of the core things. So encouraging them, identifying when they said something and they didn't, or when they behaved in a certain way. And I would say, that's the Holy Spirit. That's, I would open up the possibility that they could, they could see that in themselves. And that's really at the heart of, of the ministry that I've, that I've done. And I found that that's not too different than in the parish, being in parishes where people felt that they really were not they weren't up to this. They weren't up to up to uh, being church together, and finding a way to show them, to reflect back to them that that they were indeed the people of God, and and watching that take flower that that's been a great joy. Thanks, Helen. That's that's wonderful. Uh, something that jumped out to me there, uh, and I think I I think it might be great encouragement for for people to hear to hear a pastor a priest uh, acknowledge uh, maybe highlight and maybe doing it in a pastoral way which is you Helen mm -hmm. uh, the loosey goosiness of some spiritual practices that uh, that you're not claiming any monastic expertise or practice but mm -hmm. you are a practitioner who is rolling with the punches, maybe in some ways. Uh, am I hearing that right? You are hearing that right. And and I've got to say my context is I live with a man, my husband of almost 49 years, who has, uh, who would embrace the monastic life in a nanosecond, if I wasn't here nagging him to, to, uh, you know, have some fun somewhere along the line. So, um, uh, I have held that contemplative and in that sort of traditional contemplative um, practice as the gold standard of spiritual life and have felt totally inadequate to that until I think I got to a certain age, I think over 60 somewhere, where I just went, that's not who I am. God didn't make me to be isolated and not isolated because I know that that it's a paradoxical thing, but but God made me to be in relationship with people and to find God in that place. And so I proudly use my extroversion and my my quest for activity. Yeah. Thanks, Eden. David. Thanks, Helen. Eden, what are some spiritual practices or one that jumps out to you? And and how how do you pray? What is prayer, particularly in your context as a minister at at uh, the bridge? I would say one of my spiritual practices is when I feel out of sorts, uh, maybe I'm overwhelmed, um, maybe um, maybe there's there's a problem I'm, I'm not quite sure how to solve yet. Um, I just go out the front door and into my garden and I just spend a bit of time looking at what's in the garden, what's coming up, uh, what's dying off, what needs pruning, what needs pulling. And in just the, um, just in the practice of that for caring for my garden, it feels like 
um, I get some input from God into my own stuff uh, and maybe into whatever is, is upsetting me or bothering me. And um, I really, really find that helpful. Sometimes I grab my camera and I also take pictures in the garden and then I download them onto my computer and I zoom in and I see this entire other universe and I realize, oh my goodness, what I'm so bothered by is so minuscule in the vastness of God's creation. And so that's just, it, it's a practice for me um, because it seems to tick some boxes for me in, in what I need to know and some perspective. Um, and then when it comes to praying, um, you know, a Lucy Goo would not be an inappropriate word to use for mine. Although, um, you know, in these, probably within this last decade, I, I can say that it is far more intentional. And so if I tell someone, I'll pray for you about that, or I'll pray for you, um, I mean it. I, I'm not just going to say that because that's the responsible thing to do or the thing that the pastor should do. I say it because I feel called to that. And so I have um, things, triggers that will remind me of a person. But I also, I use my phone. And so uh, just in the last couple of weeks, I had a friend who her and her husband were making their first trip back to the UK um, since COVID and um, her mom passed away during COVID as did mine. And so we have that connection. And I had said to her before she left, I'll be praying for you on this trip. They were going to be scattering ashes and seeing family. And it, it really was a big, a big trip, a big thing. And so I had said to her, at the end of my day, which is the beginning of yours, I'm just going to send you a text to let you know I'm thinking of you, I'm praying for you. And so that's what I would do. I would go sit in my chair at the end of the day, and I would pull up my phone. I would text her and just say, this is, what are, this is what's in my thoughts. This is how I'm praying for you today. And I would keep it short and sweet. I don't, I don't tell God what to do in my prayers. That got kiboshed a long time ago. Um, I am all about just trying to see how is God in this picture without manipulating things or telling God, like, I've thought of something he couldn't have. So, um, um, so that's what I've been doing. I've been making, I've been praying, but also just making a connection with the person I'm praying for. Um, sometimes it's just a one-off, like, someone comes to mind and I see their picture or I think I smell their scent or um, I see someone and I think it's them, but it's not them. But I go, oh, but I'm thinking about them now. I'm just going to pray for them. And my most powerful prayer is Lord have mercy. I think there is nothing more powerful than that prayer, honestly, because it connects me to my own need for mercy. And then just 
reminds me that there is enough mercy for them too. So th- those are kind of my my things at the moment. Thank you, Eden. I love the image of going to the garden. What a what a powerful image. And um, there's something quite beautiful about prayer being that that experience of having something be brought to mind uh, and then and then doing something about it saying lord have mercy uh, what a what a, a gift um, that is uh, as you say um I think you alluded to Helen's Lucy Goosey as well, which I'm really stuck on right now because it really resonates with me so, so well. But that intentionalness um, of it, uh, when when something is brought to mind in that almost accidental, incidental way, then you can pray. Uh, that's That's very moving. Helen. David, I just had this image of a uh, sort of like loosey-goosey, like just this this sort of little hurricane wandering through the world. And then all of a sudden, something comes to mind and like you're still. And Lord have mercy, right? And and that that's really lovely, Eden. Thank you. That will enrich my prayer life, I think, for quite a while. Yeah. Philip. Over to you. Prayer, what is it? What are the spiritual practices that give you um, life? And are, are, you, are you a monk? <laughs> I'm not a monk. <laughs> However, I am an introvert. And I, I, can, I really do appreciate stillness and quiet and contemplation. Uh, not forever, uh, but I do appreciate that oppor- the opportunities to step back. And I think that was being nurtured in me as a boy wandering in the farm. And I was being taught even then that I was, that prayer was a relationship before it was anything else. Uh, One of my favorite things to do uh, when it was not winter was to lay out under a favorite tree way out in the middle of one of the fields and just to gaze upward and have a sense of being connected with something so vast and so beyond me. I, I now know it, 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 it formed the foundations of my, my sense of connectedness with, with the universe and with all things uh, within it. Um, I, uh, and, and that remains such foundational teaching. And, and I grew up in a fairly traditional Protestant a family that had the rhythm of going to worship, um, which was helpful for me. I, I, I find rhythm help, uh, helpful, um, but not rigidity. Uh, there was uh, the rhythm that was also was welcoming of free form. And uh, um, so in these days, things that I, I, I find helpful at times, specific prayer as have, have been mentioned uh, with uh, a friend of mine, uh, a, a colleague elsewhere, uh, let me know she was going to be having an interview on a new career track. And so specifically when is when are you sitting down with these others um what is on your mind as you sit down at that time know that i will be holding you 
with the things that are in your heart, um, that the that you have a sense of the holy, the sacred holding you. So it could be very specific with that. Um, uh, in the faith community that I've just retired from and I'm stepping away from. Um, uh, also, specific prayer was important to a number of, of people who would gather and hold specific concerns around uh, life decisions, around health. Uh, and, and so uh, while I was not particularly interested in the enumerating a list of there were those that did. And so I would help them to hold those concerns. Um, I My practice is to hold them loosely and to kind of send them to the universe, send them to this holy and to the, to the sacred. Um, and I must say all, any practices that I have, come to. It's been up to me to discover them. The formation I had formally in my theological training was not about formation. It, and the principal at the time and that, that decade said, we are not here to form ministers for ministry. We are here to provide you a higher liberal education academically. The church can then do with you what it needs to. <laughs> And that's when I really realized this spiritual divide between the academic institutions and the church. And so I realized it's up to me to search out and to make the discoveries. Thank goodness, uh, uh, you know, colleagues and experienced others help point me at different times. Um, so it, 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 these days, in addition to some uh, to specific prayers, I find really helpful uh, to walk labyrinths spend time. Um, that's part of my contemplation. I, on my body, I have discovered over the years, likes to move. It likes to be involved in the prayer. So let the body pray and express. If it wants to groan, let it groan. If my hands want to move, let them move. Uh, and uh, uh, as well as sit quietly, which I can easily do. And I've, I've learned that I do well as I move through the day if I have some stillness to begin every day. I sense a difference when I rush bolt into the day's agenda that I'm, uh, I think I'm less tuned in and therefore less effective, however one might want to measure effectiveness. Um, uh, my experience wandering the farm and the wide open spaces and being in touch with land has brought me into great friendships with things like trees, like nature. Like there is a favorite cedar grove near where I currently live that is a very sacred practice for me. There are times oh, when I've gotten one of those emails from someone who just thought, what they heard from me was not at all on end. I need to work out where, how do I need to hear this? I will go to that cedar grove, invite them as they stand there rooted and have seen so much over the decades and centuries to offer me encouragement and reassurance that uh, um, I don't stand alone. 
uh, and that uh, that they are are with me. Um, and and I uh, they I I have yet to step away to move out from uh, an experience with the cedars, uh, which you know. A, a decade ago, I would never have shared that I go and stand in a cedar grove because there'd be too much splaining to do. And uh, but I've I've accepted the freedom uh, to to do that. And of course, it's and it's attentiveness that attentiveness that continues to tune me into more and more my relationship uh, with with all things, uh, animate and inanimate, uh, and. Uh, um, I just find my life uh, so much uh, more uh, enriched uh, because of that. Well, Philip, thank you for the passion, the joy, the enthusiasm in, um, in your sense of connecting to the land. And I think what I'm, um, oh, I, I think uh, all of our, the conversation seems to be focused around this notion of connection. All of you have uh, been expressing how vital um, to your spiritual practices, your prayer lives. Um, I think I'm right in saying it's just connection with people. Helen, your connection to the prisoners, um, helping them to find their own voice. I mean, that's phenomenal. And, Eden going outside, knowing that, right, I'll just step outside my door here. I'm going to connect with these, uh, well, nature, really, uh, God's creation, what needs pruning, what needs digging up, what needs, oh, I mean, it's just so, a lot of beautiful imagery there. And then, Philip, this connection to the land that's been in your body since you were a young child, um, that you know that when you take yourself out and you start moving and you start connecting to the land, you feel nurtured um, and it supports you. Well, I, I just love all these influences. And um, But my curious question for you is, who would you turn to, whether it be an author or a person or... Um, nature i mean we've talked a little bit about that but who would your influencers be uh, i know for myself there are authors i've read that um have influenced me greatly like henry newen and thomas merton and um uh, more recently Lortz, who um, is the co-founder of um uh, Semer seminary of the wild um or church of the wild sorry so, yeah, I'm just inviting you to share kind of uh, popcornish, I guess that's an expression. Um, who, who, who would your influencers be? Who, who are your go-tos in your spiritual life? You already mentioned uh, Henry Nowen, who for me is just a constant go-to. Um, there, uh, there is just, uh, uh, I, I hang on the words that I get uh, there. It, it's uh, it's uh, writings that, that do tend to speak to me. So for me, that's very much an influencer. Mm, thank you. Yeah, for me too, Henry Nowen is uh, 
uh, I think that's where I learned uh, as a, a person, a young person of faith, uh, this notion of vulnerability um, being or wanting to be my truest, most authentic self. There was something about the simplicity of Henry's writing that just drew me in over and over again. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Henry now and uh, coming uh, from the Pentecostal church into uh, where, I meant, where I am right now, the Anglican church was a big influence in introducing me to prayer uh, that I'd never heard of before, silence and solitude. What on earth is that? Well, he explains it very well. Is there a particular book, um, Philip, that uh, of, of his, a writing of his that really resonates with you? Oh, not one that I could pick out uh, um, as a standalone, no. So go get them all. Re uh, listeners, go get them all. I have them all. <laughs> That's right. And another another influencer would be Richard Rohr uh, for me, and and, and uh, just this, I think if what what speaks to me is he has done so much rethinking of of uh, of theology and what it is to be alive um, that I find helpful in that as well. My favorite uh, Richard Rohr book because it might be the only one I've read, um, sadly, because I do have the others. I'm just not much of a reader in that regard, um, is Can You Drink This Cup? And um, I just, it really, um, I probably read it about 20 years ago and, um, and have read it over time again and again. And um, it just, it's the... Um, the ordinariness uh, of how he lays out his life that I just think is, is very inspiring. Um, yeah. Um, and then um, the other major influences in, in my life are our three sons and um, they see things from an entirely different perspective than I do and, um, and challenge me over and over again in the most loving and kind ways to see a particular situation or person or uh, environment in a, in a different way. And I'll say something like, well, what about this issue? And they're like, why is it an issue? Like, why, why, and so, you know, if you have kids, you know how they do that. Um, and they've done it since they were little. Um, but um, I'm indebted to them. Um, yes. they, they have kindly used um, mostly fine grit sandpaper to smooth off my edges and to bring me to places where um, I'm seeing things from a perspective that my particular experience hasn't afforded me, but their experience and their willingness to impart that to me does. So uh, Stephen and Justice and Dominic are uh, right up there with, uh, with all the rest. And then of course, my husband, um, I, even though we um, are at different churches, 
and um, and we don't attend together. Um, he is definitely a big part of my processing, my thoughts, my you know how how I work out what um, what's coming out for me in my faith, <clears throat> and um, and then he writes books about them about these things. So that also helps. Um, but then that would require me to read them. So there's another problem. So sorry about that, Brad, but. Um, yeah. Well, Eden, I just love how you, um, you know, brought our attention around to our familial connections. We can go to authors and um, uh, other spiritual teachers, um, authors who aren't even spiritual teachers, but to really remember our our children, um, I would say one of my most valuable spiritual practices is being with my grandson um, on a daily basis for a few hours a day outside. Um, and then my two older sons as well. So thank you for reminding me of that. Some that our own um, families can be our best teachers at times or influencers. Thank you. Yeah. And Helen, can I invite you to, um, you know, add something? Sure. Um, <clears throat> I immediately was thinking of uh, writers and um, back in this time when I was, um, um, God was steering me back into relationship. Um, I remember reading Paul Tillich, um, not your, not your Henry Nowlin, <laughs> Paul Tillich. And it was a collection of sermons. It was the perfect book for me. It really was. And, and that, and he voiced in there, some of the thoughts I'd had that I thought were particularly heretical. And I thought, if he can say this, I can, I can go there too. And it, it just empowered me so much to begin to ask questions, to begin to be brave in my faith, because I was so shut down spiritually. I thought that, that if I made a wrong move, that, that something terrible was going to happen. And it would be better for me to just shut God out rather than, rather than make a wrong move. And, and so coming back into relationship with God meant that I was I was being, um, I had to start being braver in relationship. Um, <clears throat> but I'm looking now at, at my Kindle list, my library and Kindle, and I've got a lot of good books I haven't read. Kindle, can, those uh, digital books can multiply just like real books on bookshelves. So um, <clears throat> the, the people that are inspiring me these days are women. Um, I'm sure there's men out there, but the women are just, speak in my language so um rachel held evans may she rest in peace uh kate bowler um and uh, nadia boltz weber um all really um are able to articulate and podcasts especially are are, are really fascinating uh brene brown who is uh who is also um uh speaks speaks a certain piece of the language for me so I, I expect it's fairly typical of a woman my age but but you know I think that um hearing hearing people like Kate Bowler and Rachel Held Evans especially Nadia Boltzweber someone is that um they're giving 
a new life to faith. They're, they, these are young women who are going to continue, continue faithful, faithful conversations long past my life, which is, boy, that's a, I'm not as depressed about it as <laughs> might think, but I, I, I really have a lot of faith in the church through them and in the, in the, the wider church, right? The people of God that, that in the face of this ridiculously difficult world, that there is a place for faith. There's a place for standing the audaciousness of hope, not to really quote Obama, but, but just to be able to, um, um, to find that solid ground to stand on in the face of shifting sands. So, um, and I guess my hero, a hero would be Desmond Tutu. I, I just really had uh, such a fondness for him and his vitality, not just his willingness to battle principalities and powers, but to but to have a, a lightness of being that I thought was just tremendous. Yeah. Helen, to, to, that, to the list of women uh, writers that you mentioned, I, I, would, I found great help uh, with Barbara Brown Taylor. Oh, yes. As one who preaches, I, and particularly mm-hmm. her book, uh, an altar, altar in the world. I altar think. in the world, one of my favorite books. Yeah, yes. just uh, yeah. I mean, her whole experience of stepping stepping back and from ministry, mm-hmm. taking time and and redefining, uh, I found so helpful. The saying no, the practice of saying no, one of my favorite chapters in a book, actually. Yeah. One of the things I like uh, listening. Uh, to this cloud of witnesses that we're, we're bringing up, be they authors or family, uh, is the, the sense of conversation that we are in with, with them. Uh, I think, Helen, you mentioned uh, something about um, Paul Tillich kind of gave you, I mean, you never met Paul Tillich. You never spoke oh, to Paul Tillich. But he somehow, was long dead, I think. Right, right. But somehow in your, in your reading, he empowered you to ask questions or he gave, he, like, he mm-hmm. gave you something. Yeah, uh, and Eden, your your children are giving you something in kind of that relationship, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I hear that uh, si- similarly, uh, Philip. Uh, these these are actually conversations that we're part of, uh, and what a great posture we can take when we when we go to our influencers again, be they author or or not author. Uh, we are entering into a conversation. We're not just receiving, right? We're not just receiving data. We are also participating. Um, in, in it. Um, Helen, this ridiculously difficult world uh, that you just um, named, prayer often is uh, sparked by really difficult things in life. Uh, and uh, we could go on a litany naming these really difficult things and everyone has their own list. Uh, but just for for you pastors how how does prayer shift change in difficult times what is prayer particularly in in the difficult times for you uh for me um i'm a enneagram 9 
And I don't actually know what I just said. I don't know what that actually fully means, except for I like peaceful things. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of, of violent things happening, especially recently. And so um, that's upsetting for me. Um, But I also, I feel like in my prayer, especially when things are not going as, um, as I think would be best. um, And, and then just the craziness of things in these last years. um, I just have to be, I, I have to be authentic in my expression. Um, if I if I pretend to rise above what I feel like, um, I'm I just don't feel like I I've met any need in myself or anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, if I express my sadness, if I express my frustration, um, if I express my longing for other things to God in my prayer, I feel a lot more settled. Um, Not because any of the circumstances have changed, um, but because I've at least been honest about my frustration and my my circumstances or how I feel about the circumstances. Um, And as a pastor, during especially these last two years, I have felt it's really, really important um, for me to give um, the folks in our community permission to be authentic in their prayer as well. Mm-hmm. We, we should be done with the posturing, um, with the, you know, saying Jesus's name enough times in a prayer or having the right um, greeting and salutation and all that. We, we should be done with that. Um, this is a connection. I don't do that with my husband. I, I don't, every time he walks in the room or whatever, I, I don't have some formal thing. It, it's way more organic than that. And, um, and I think when we can be authentic about how we really are feeling and express that to the Lord, it is lifting off some of our burdens. And, and I, I think we are witnessing an entire culture right now that is um, heavy laden and just uh, profoundly overburdened by so many things. And we all need prayer, um, but we have to acknowledge what it is that we've picked up, what we've carried, what's been put on us in the meantime. Eden, that sounds so right to me <laughs> as, as well. Um, and, and particularly in, in these last couple of years and in these months with uh, uh, war and conflict on top of pandemic and everything else, our, uh, our communities, <laughs> Uh, deal with uh, uh, I've I've noticed a, a a strong need among people and in myself um, to know that we are not alone 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we f- f- have heard our uh, Dr. Henry in BC say we're in this together so many times, but there's a, such been such a spiritual truth that I have heard from people that I have been in ministry with uh, remind us that we are not alone. Um, and sometimes there has been the need expressed, um, can we just gather? Can we just be together? Words if necessary, but can we be together? Um, and I, I, the word that I think comes closest to it, and is can we lament? I'm not sure of the fullness of that word. But it has really felt for me, and it, it's, I think it's about authenticity that was mentioned already. Can we really, can we just, can we weep? Can we acknowledge the brokenness that we feel? Um, can we step into the unknown and say, it is unknown, we don't know the way, and, and that that is enough for now? Um, it, 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 it's an, a deep, rich, authentic feel for me. Um, and I have noticed that, uh, you know, over the decades in working with faith communities, when there would be some news headline and there would be this momentary rise, but it's felt so constant the past couple of years with what this common experience of crisis of turmoil uh, that the world is in. Thank you, Philip. That and Eden both. I mean that those those are. I find that I'm continually trying to reshape my sense of the world, and the amount of energy it takes to to stay on top of the well and can we we can't there's like this overwhelming sense of of helplessness and i really have a um a sense that i'm confronting my um my my desire to tell god what to do my desire to see god behave in a way and intervene in a way that that will make things turn out the way I want them to turn out. And, and having to dig deeper, it's that not that God is making these things happen, but that God's presence is always here. And that, that we can somehow find that deeper, more authentic place where we can mourn and be comforted at the same time. And, and I hope that there's something about that in my ministry to, to others and in the world and my family. I see my family who are largely not religious, um, a struggle because, because there isn't that space where they can mourn and be comforted at the same time. And I am not one to, to um, uh, proselytize to anyone, let alone my family, wouldn't do me any good. They would just tell me what to do very quickly. But um, but I I have to watch that and see the kind of pain that they're in around these things. And uh, my grandchildren, who are very aware, but who do not want to talk about it, who will not will not 
will not discuss the world that they're inheriting. So um, there's there's a number of things uh, that, to sit with being helpless and to watch to watch the world unravel and also uh, that sense that we're not done yet. We're not even close to done yet. I mean, it's this is this is going to take on some momentum that that we have no idea what's coming. And to somehow find find a, a a place where where we can be on solid ground in the midst of the turmoil. I I'd just like to add a couple of things um, that sparked from Philip and Helen. It, it just um, you know, as um, as pastors and and priests of congregations, like. I think it's really important for us because, you know, we've basically been, you know, wiped out by a uh, an emotional tsunami, something like that. Like it's it's really taken us out, right? And we're we're all gasping for air, and we're all kind of tumbling in the waves, and it's really been a, a quite a tumultuous situation. And now we're going to add, you know. Um, a massive war that is unbelievably um, emotionally uh, charged. And, um, you know, my own father was born in Ukraine and uh, had a similar escape story as is happening right now. So he's 88 and he's now seeing this in his lifetime again. Right. And we're listening to his stories and, um, and to give our folks, permission to not watch all the news for hours on end but just to say you know what it's important to know what's happening out there it really is but you don't have to buy into the 24 7 news feed cycle or have the news on your car or have whatever happening on your phone all day long pinging 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 because you're just traumatizing yourself over and over again. It would be good enough to know each day, you know, these are the COVID numbers. This is what happened in Ukraine and keep it really concise so that it's not just another day and another tsunami, right? Mm -hmm. Another thing that has been really helpful for me as I watch others suffering um, for different reasons is um this image came to me uh, when one of our sons was having a, a real challenge uh, in his life. And, um, and I felt like I was on a roller coaster at, with him. And I felt like God said to me, you know, he's on the roller coaster. You're just watching. You need to get off. And that made a huge difference. It didn't mean I wasn't there with him. It was like, I just didn't have to feel all the ups and downs over and over again and be swept up with his life. And I could be there for him. I, every time he made a loop, I could be there cheering him on. Um, or I could ask, what do you need? Or how can I help? But I didn't have to get on the ride with him. And I think if we can recognize that we don't have to be linked in that way with our parishioners. 
um, and carry them quite so closely, um, that also is a gift to us to recognize that we can walk alongside them or watch them on their roller coaster, but we don't have to get on the ride with them. What a rich and diverse conversation. Um, I'm left in awe of all that you've shared. Um, but now I'd like to turn the conversation to something completely, quite the opposite side of that and, and ask you what in your spiritual practices have you found um, uh, that uh, brings you the most joy? Because I, I think uh, to balance the, the hardness of life and how, how do we best move through that with our spiritual practices and prayer, um, with just what gives you joy, what really brings you joy? It, for me, it's always presiding at the Eucharist. And maybe always might be a little a little stretch, but but not much. There is a sense of presence and connection and ordinary things and sharing and and prayer that is that is so powerful for me every single time. And I am so grateful that God has led me to that altar. My my faith tradition doesn't celebrate the Eucharist uh, as often as some other traditions do, but I would have that same sense uh, at the table of catching a glimpse, fleeting always, but just a, such a sense of what God desires, mm -hmm. what 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 the universe hopes for, longs for. Um, and and if, and so for me, yes, coming to the table, even though it's not a weekly uh, endeavor, it's uh, it's very much been a spiritual practice. Probably the the liturgy, the itself, the 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 preaching, which is significant in in our tradition, and as in as in many, it's it's that. Um, and and the preparation for me for me has very always with the scriptures that working with it's uh, it's a deep dive, and it's that search for what have I not heard before? What am I going to be surprised by in this lectionary reading or or this series that I had no idea my heart was going to go there or it would be revealed to me? And f f that's a just a tremendous delight when that happens uh to me and and i think always in the rhythm of of gathering for weekly worship <clears throat> there is that there's that resident hope in me that that all who gather would would catch a sense that they have been visited by the holy that 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 there's been holy ground uh that they have stepped on to um um and not out of the sense that the sanctuary is a, is that only place of course like the whole the whole that that can happen anywhere and it can happen obviously in a grove of cedar trees not just in the in the blessed sanctuary um 
I'll, I'll leave that thought there because my mind already went somewhere else and I'm not sure where that else is. <laughs> you tweaked something for me, Philip, about, um, um, and I thought Lectio Divina, like, like reading scripture and being open to that, those underlying things are being surprised again that, that there's words in there that I've never seen before, even though I've read this over and over again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that sparks great joy. And um, uh, because I have positioned myself as not a Bible thumper. Right. That 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 was my my big, big line in the sand. Right. And now I find that I am indeed a, a Bible thumper, but in a in a different practice. <laughs> and, and that the Lectio Divina reminds me of, a, of a, another practice that I, I will come at and I will devote like a week to it. And that would be the daily examine. Uh huh. Yeah, we're just where you know, and and key for me is where, uh, where have I sensed the sacred? Right. Uh, Right, and and it's like, ah, of course, I I I knew it. I felt that. That's what that was, and just to spend some time uh, with that. That's a practice I haven't been able to do daily, but I will take weeks and I'll just Mm -hmm. devote myself. Uh, to to that as a practice. Yeah. I think intentionally, intentionally setting time aside to, to think about uh, where God is. And also I have this tendency to uh, experience very singular things and think, oh, well, I'll, that'll happen again. And realizing that it won't right? It's like, it's, it was a one-off. God was there for me in that one moment, showed me great beauty, and, and I need to reflect on it in order to acknowledge it. I can't just do it in the moment, um, uh, mostly because I think it's going to happen over and over again. And I think, oh, well, this will be fine. But no, it's not. I, I, have to, I have to reflect and I have to hold it in my heart, right? And keep it in my mind and be, and be open to the memory of it in in a in a in a sacred way mm-hmm. um one of my favorite greetings in the whole world um and it's part of a i think it's from botswana but i'm not exactly sure it's it's an african nation for sure but the the greeting is i see you mm-hmm. and it just moves me when I hear that. And for me, what that calls me to is, um, where do I see Jesus in my day? In who do I see Jesus? And when I see him, I have great joy. <laughs> uh, that's, that is what is just so fantastic for me. So, I'll tell a quick little story from Sunday. Of course, it's Easter. We are still only um, having live services every uh, two Sundays a month. Um, And um, um, that's just to not overextend ourselves um, and kind of, but still be able to gather. And um, of course, with Easter, um, Sunday being Easter, it was a pretty big thing. 
uh, took a lot of energy and both, um, both me and my um, co-pastor, Sarah, have uh, challenges with our energy levels. And so uh, we had been there early. We had been just going like crazy. I was doing the preach that morning. And at the end of it, there just was like this big holy mess left over. And uh, we we're just like, oh, we're so tired. And we started just seeing people like just start, you know, grabbing chairs and doing all kinds of things. But what happened was this young guy, I'm, I'm thinking he's like 20, coming and standing right in front of me and just saying, how can I help you? And I, I felt like it was Jesus himself standing in front of me. And like his question to blind Bartimaeus, like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. It, I, I felt this like moment and I, I'm just like, okay, I know exactly what I want you to do. And I sent him off. And, um, and if I'm in a posture where my greeting is, I see you. And there's this, uh, this thing that rises in me that, that wants to see Jesus in others. And then I see it. I'm like, Oh my goodness. It's jackpot Sunday. Right. And, um, it just feels awesome. And it happens way more often than we expect. And with people who we don't, wouldn't necessarily expect to see Jesus through. Uh, I've seen Jesus wearing a turban, and I have also seen Jesus wearing a burqa and, um, and many other forms. But when I see him, Oh my goodness. The joy is unbelievable. It's just awesome. So that's my, my little thing. Thank you. There's um, a, I I hear two things. I hear the great joy uh, that each of your hearts has when it comes to, to prayer and all the different ways that you are connecting to God, to the Holy, to the divine. I also hear, as, as pastors, as priests particularly, there is some joy. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I'm right. It's certainly how I feel. So sorry for the projection here. But there is some joy in preparing a space for other people to pray in or to facilitate the prayer of God's people at the Eucharist table or in preparation of the liturgy or or whatever it might be. That like that also sparks joy that's part of the prayer practice too of of um ordained uh ministry is Mm -hmm. the personal side but also that that facilitating side it's great great to hear that Mm -hmm. um we're coming to the end of our time um we are we are a choir we are a choir of spiritual practitioners each offering our voice uh to to the great symphony that is being sung god's great song for our listeners who might be at the beginning of their journey learning how to how to sing learning how to articulate who they are um, and their spiritual practices in this choir i i wonder what what encouragement can you give to to these these you know 
fellow members of this choir, what can you say to them in terms of prayer and spiritual practice? How might you encourage the choir that's listening? What comes to mind for me is, particularly if if you're new, uh, don't try and do it all alone. Mm-hmm. Be in conversation, uh, at least, with somebody. You, you might even uh, have someone who accompanies you, uh, uh, maybe as formally as a spiritual director or a spiritual accompanier, but um, it's, it, it's work. This paying attention to spirit and spirituality, it, there's work. I mean, we, we call it the work for a good reason. It's work. And, and don't, uh, don't attempt it alone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, right? Which, which is exactly what a, a choir is. It's not a solo. Right. So the beauty of the image that you use for, for the podcast, it's, you know, remember you, you're, you're, there are others longing to sing uh, as well and add their voice to yours. Thanks, Philip. One of the things that I think I do, and I'm a one on the Enneagram, and I know exactly what that means, that I am driven towards perfection and doing it the right way. Um is is to present to people to give voice to my fo- foibles and my misunderstandings and my brokenness and to hold that fairly lightly because um because it's for me um that helps me to see that there's a bigger a bigger world a bigger perspective something that is not just of my own making uh, I encourage, the, and we've used all of us have used that word authentic. But I think that that one of the the biggest lessons for me was to learn to be authentic with God, to be angry, to shake my fist, to to um, to weep, to complain, to lament, to all those things that that make me feel uncomfortable doing. But at the same time, um, taking them to God changes them in a way that makes that makes it holy. And um, and so I would love to see people. I mean, Anglicans must have invented formal prayer, right? Or at least a dedication to it, because, you know, you have these these people that believe that it has to be said in a certain way at a certain time. And you can't confess until after you've done the other things and all of that stuff. And really, really, it's just about being present to God in, in a way that says, take me as I am. Take me as I am. I think um, I'll, I'll jump on what Helen was saying there. Um, as leaders, I think it's really important for us to demonstrate that we are not singing all the voices, all the parts in a song. Um, I think when we authentically say, you know what, I don't have that voice, I can't sing that note, I don't know that tune, um, we make space for someone else, which means we're making space for another voice in this chorus, right? Um, and, And that's, you know, for me in my particular setting and in the setting I was prior to this, um, um, 
for Sunday mornings, um, we have, uh, we go through probably at least a dozen different voices in a year um, that contribute to um, what's being, you know, the sermons being spoken on a Sunday morning. Um, some of them um, are really polished and know what they're doing. And some of them are just doing it scared, um, but they have something to say. And um, and I want to give them that space because I think it's important um, for the course to be expanded. Um, and then same with worship, same with um, who's doing communion. I know we do it a little different than, um, than the Anglicans, but um, just trying to constantly be making more space at the table um, or in the choir for another voice. Um, and maybe to help someone find their voice, like maybe they've never sung. Maybe they don't know that they can sing and giving them space, encouraging them and saying, you know, I've just listened to you for the last half hour, express your love for God. And I think that would be beautiful to share with the rest of us. You know, would you be willing to do that? And, um, um, and quite often I'm surprised they will. And, and, the encouragement they get from the rest of the choir members is really great. So now you kind of have a snowball effect, right? Um, but I, I just think it's really important to make space for more voices and then to also point to more voices. So when we were sharing about, you know, who are our influences, we were expanding the choir right in that moment, right? Like all of a sudden there's more screens on the computer right then and there. And if we help people to recognize the extra people they have in their life that, you know, none of us is meant to sing a solo, not ever, not within the church context and probably not even trios or ensembles. Like this is a mass choir we've got going on here. And the more we draw on that, the more we include and we um, invite in, the better, in my opinion. Thank you, Eden, Philip, and Helen. This has been a wonderful conversation, and you have shared some truly inspiring insights into your perspectives on choral spirituality and how the weaving of prayer and Christ's love through these lived experiences can be used to enrich our lives and the lives of those around us. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with all of you. And again, thank you for participating in this dialogue, which I'm sure our listeners will walk away from feeling enlightened and a little more confident in their own voice amongst the choir. <laughs>